I don't have the mind of God, so I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I can say it from a practical standpoint. I don't think that there's a a national revival that's going to break out in our country, anything like that, but I still believe we can have personal revival. I still believe that we can have local revival in our churches, Um, but as far as a national revival breaking out, I'm not certain that that's something that, I mean, what we're looking at is we're looking at the rapture taking place pretty soon. And uh, let me say this while I'm on it. The rapture takes place before the tribulation period. We're living in a day with doctoral confusion. People don't know how to rightly divide their Bible, biblical idiotcy. And uh, you can go on the internet and pick up about any false heresy you want to pick up and things like that. I don't believe the church is going through the tribulation period. The church is going out of here, then the tribulation period. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. And the church, it's not called the time of the church's trouble. We're living in the last days. And these last days include the fact that here Jesus Christ could come back any moment right now. It's not another seven years from now. He's going to come back and take us out of here, and he's, going to, he's not appointed us under wrath, the Bible says. And so anyhow, you know, just every now and then something gets under your crawl a little bit, and you just want to say something, you know, and uh, it's biblical. So uh, we're good. We're all here. We're all good, right? Are you good this morning? Amen. amen. All right. If you're glad you're saved, say amen. 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 All right. If you're glad you're saved every day, say amen. amen. All right. Let's take our Bibles here this morning, and I just want to try to help you. And let's come to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. I want to bring you a message that I hope that will help you and maybe encourage you. And it might not sound encouraging when we start off and that kind of thing, but a lot of times some of the messages that will help you the most are not the ones that we, you and I think that we need. You know, we come to church, and, well, if the preacher would just preach this and he would preach that, and then, yeah, what you want is you want your ears tickled. Be careful about that. Nobody's above wanting their ears tickled. Nobody's above coming to church with expectations of this is what I think the preacher ought to preach and he better stay away from this and stay away from that because don't verbalize it because if you tell me, that's exactly what the Lord's going to have me to preach on. So let's be careful about that. You know, whether the Lord's lead me or not, that's the way I'm going to Anyhow, all right, we're having fun, right? Second Corinthians chapter number one, and let's pick it up in verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the will of God. Now, we talked about that several weeks ago or a few weeks ago where we talked about the will of God. And the Bible says here that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It was God's will that Paul is an apostle. Now, there are no apostles today. If a man tells you that he's an apostle, you mark him off. He's a heretic. He's a phony. He's a fraud. There are no apostles today. Apostles are those that had saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. That's one of the qualifications of it. There are no apostles today. As a matter of fact, the, apostle, the, the apostolic gifts died out. This crowd that runs around, they, you know, they can cast out devils, they can do this, they can do that. Mark 16, that, that's gone. I mean, Paul couldn't even heal a sick cat at one point in his ministry. And so those things have died out, but you know, people, for whatever reason, they got an infatuation with the supernatural and that kind of thing, so they think that magical stuff or whatever, you know, it's just, you know, get, you, get, you got your God and he's your genie and you just rub him three times and then he'll, he'll give you three wishes. And that's not the way God works at all. God doesn't work on our terms, he works on his terms. And so Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, but he lost those apostolic sign gifts. They were, they're not for you and I today. Those things have died out. Speaking in tongues, died out. They're not for today. 
And if we had time, I'd show you that. And I'm probably going to take the probably next several weeks uh, coming up pretty shortly. And we're going to teach on some of those things along those same lines. And I'll bring out some things and I'll show you from the Bible clearly how those things do not belong in the church age today. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. So he's writing this book here to those that are at Corinth and the saints also which are in Achaia. So you notice that the Bible here in this context here is written not only to save people, but it's also at times written to lost people because he's talking about a local church, is he not? He says, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, this is the church of God at East River Baptist, right? Now, not everybody, I'm not, I don't know, I can't say this, but I would assume not everybody here is saved. You see, so what Paul is doing is when he writes this book, I mean, the doctrinal aspect obviously is to the church, but it, there's saved people in church as well as lost people in church as well. Not everybody that's in church that says they're saved is saved. Now, he says in verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where it comes from. That's where grace comes from and that's where peace comes from in that exact order. Without the grace of God, you cannot have the peace of God. It has to come in that order there and it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through Buddha. It's not through your good works. It's not through a humanitarian organization. It is through the the Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I have grace and peace. Outside of that, there is no grace and peace. He says, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, watch this, and the God of all comfort. I came across that the other day, and, and it just stuck out to me. He's the God of all comfort. He's not just the God of comfort. He's not just the God of some comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Now, that's a mouthful right there. Now, you know, if we would only get to the place where we could recognize that and realize that, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, when we go through problems and struggles and trials and sufferings and things like that, then sometimes we try to take it in our own hands instead of looking to the God of all comfort. And so that's the first place we should turn to. He says in verse 4, who, talking about God, comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Now let me just stop right there and say, he says the word tribulation in verse number 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. What's tribulation? It's not the seven-year tribulation period. You see, in the Bible, there's words that are used and many times there's two or three or four meanings to one word. And here in this passage, this tribulation is not a reference to the seven-year tribulation period. It's not a reference to Daniel's 70th week. This tribulation is connected with somebody that's suffering, that's going through some trials. It's life circumstances and problems. And so that's what he's talking about. And so he says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Paul says that we've struggled, we went through some things, and the reason why Paul says that he went through the things that he went through was so that he could turn around and help comfort somebody else. And so a lot of times when we go through things and we suffer some things, you know what God is trying to do? He's trying to teach us so that we can turn around and help somebody else. Paul says whether, you know, whether or not you have somebody there to help comfort you, you still have God of all comfort there to help you. So we can always lean on him and turn to him and trust in him. Why? Because he's the God of all comfort. Verse five says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, 
so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So Paul says, okay, if you're going to suffer for Christ, then your consolation is going to come from Christ as well. And so if you're suffering for Christ, then your comfort, the word consolation is another word for comfort. And so he says, your comfort is going to come from Christ. So as you abound in sufferings of Christ, you're going to abound in the consolation of Christ. You rest assured that if you're struggling and you're suffering and you're going through some things and you're saved, God is right there and he's helping you. He wants to comfort you if you'll allow him. But the problem is many times we don't turn to him to allow him to comfort us. And so what he's saying is that thing equals itself out is the way I read it. He's, he's talking about sufferings of Christ that abound in us. And so then the comfort, the consolation also abounds by Christ. So he's equaling that thing out. You see, with the statement that God will not put any more on you than you can bear is an absolute truth. God won't put any more on you and me than we can bear. Now, sometimes we can put on ourselves more. God didn't intend for us to carry. I understand that. All right, look at verse six. He says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, some people have funny ideas when it comes to the scriptures and they twist the scriptures and they use that word salvation to mean that, well, so because God saved you from a circumstance or a situation and because he saved you from a life or death situation there, then he saved you at the same time he done that. You know, I don't, I don't know, kind of like, you know, you're in a car accident and God saved you from a car accident, so therefore you must be on your way to heaven because God saved you. And then they'll try to use verses like this and say, in verse 6, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. But again, just like in verse 4, the word tribulation has multiple meanings, so does the word salvation. Salvation is not always the saving of the soul. Sometimes salvation is that God brought you through and out of a circumstance. You know, you know what I'm saying? And God brought you through something there. It's kind of like, let me give you an example. Um, remember Peter and the disciples were on that boat. And you'll remember they were, they were out there and they looked and they saw a spirit walking on the water. And, you know, they, where they thought it was a spirit, it was Jesus. And then once they recognized that it was Jesus, you know, Peter, he said, Lord, bid me to come to thee. I want to walk on the water too. And so the Lord told him, he said, come on. And so Peter steps out on the water and he begins to walk out there. But then all of a sudden he starts suffering life's problems and trials and troubles in, in typology with the waves and the winds that were crashing. And he began to get his eyes fixed on those things and looked at his circumstances and he began to sink. He began to go down. And you know what Peter said? Peter said, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord reached down and he saved Peter. But Peter wasn't saying, Lord, save my soul. He was saying, save me out of my circumstance. Save me out of my situation, my problem here. I need your help. I need your hand. And so that's what God did. He reached down and he saved him, not spiritually, but he saved him physically. So that's what this salvation has to do with in verse number six. It has to do with physical salvation. <clears throat> He says, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation. And again, he says, salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast. So Paul has a hope of them. These folks that he's talking to, he says, our hope of you is steadfast. I'm trying to think of another word for stead, immovable. Can't be moved, steadfast. It's kind of like the word, um, we often take the word fast and we mean, you know, when we talk about that, we mean, you know, quickly or hurry. But the word fast has a, another meaning as well. You, you ever fasten something to the wall? 
So it's not movable. You fasten it to the wall. It's not movable. It's immovable. And here Paul says in verse 7, and our hope of you is steadfast. So Paul has a hope that's immovable. It ain't going nowhere. It's fixed to the wall, so to speak. He said, knowing that as ye are the partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. If you're suffering this morning, God has a comfort for you. I mean, that's the Bible. That's the word of God right there, that no matter what you go through, no matter what you suffer, Jesus Christ has consolation. He has comfort for you. Now, there's very few things in life that are guaranteed. But there's something in your life that I can probably guarantee you that if the Lord tarries and you've not went through this, hold on, because eventually it'll happen. It's this thing called suffering. Everybody's going to suffer at one time or another. Some people are going to suffer a lot more than other folks. And if you live long enough, you're going to suffer. Job said in chapter 5 and verse 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now, if you're a, a welder, you know what that means because sparks, they fly upward. That's the way they go. I was driving up the road the other day. It's been three or four days ago. And I was driving along and this truck come up beside me, big truck next to me. As, and I was going one way and he was going the other on Route 20. And I don't know if he's, I don't know what happened. The wheel come off the thing or whatever. And the axle hit the ground. And just luckily it was on the passenger side, not on the driver's side. That would have steered him in my direction, I guess. But it steered him off into the ditch. And I think he turned out okay. But you know, when I looked in my rear view mirror, what I saw was sparks. And they were flying up. You see, and that's like life's troubles. Life, you know, life's troubles are going to come as the sparks fly upward. It's guaranteed because sparks go up. Life's troubles are going to come. You're born into this life and you're born unto trouble. Now, listen, again, I don't mean to be bleak this morning and dark and all that other stuff, but we've got to get to the nitty gritty of the facts of life is that everybody's going to suffer at one time or another. Everybody's going to go through things. I realize that life is a gift. I realize that life is a blessing from God, but along with the good things in our life, uh, marriage, and, and buying a house and kids and all of that stuff, you know, where there's sufferings that are tucked away in between those things, just like there's file folders in a file cabinet are tucked away as well. It's kind of like your life is, is a drawer in a file cabinet. And you take that drawer and you slide it out and then you can see where you've got, um, you, know, you can see where, you, you know, you were born, you know, just in chronology here, you can see where you were born and then, you know, you started growing up and you got your driver's license, you got a job and then you got married and then you got a house and you got, you know, kids and then, you know, and on and on and on. But in between those things is tucked away some folders of suffering. That there's always going to be suffering in your life as you go along. And the decision that you make and the choices we make could depend upon how mentally we're going to turn out, spiritually how this thing's going to turn out. So suffering is a part of life and no one, no one, even including the one that's doing the preaching this morning is exempt from suffering. We all are going to suffer. If suffering hasn't hit you and it hasn't hit your family yet, then just hang on because life in general is going to bring suffering. You don't have to be saved and on your way to heaven to suffer sufferings. I mean, everybody suffers sufferings, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. But sometimes some people are going to suffer more than other people are. But sufferings is a thing of life. Now, there's other ways to look at suffering as well. Suffering is one of God's methods. It can be used for correction. I mean, when you and I as believers get out of line, God knows how to get a hold of us, don't he? He knows how to turn our, our neck, to turn our head in order to get our attention. You see, God uses sufferings sometimes to correct us. I don't want to say all the time. I'm trying to be careful with my wording. But God uses sufferings sometimes to correct us. God can even use sufferings to teach us. 
He teaches us. That's one of the ways that God teaches us. A vessel that is willing to suffer for Christ can bring great glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. But regardless of who you are this morning, there will come a time or times in your life when you will suffer, especially if you're saved. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall, that's a promise, right? Shall suffer persecution. So everybody that is saved is going to suffer some things in life. You see, suffering is not only a part of life, but more specifically, if you're living a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ, there's going to be some suffering. Why? Because the Bible promises it. That's just just a promise from God. So there's your verse for the day. How's that? Maybe your suffering won't be as much as others. Maybe it will. Maybe your sufferings will be a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe your sufferings, it, it might, maybe you don't suffer hardly at all, but, but most people are going to suffer some things. And what I felt like lately as I've, uh, as I've looked over the scriptures and, and I felt just on my heart that we, to deal with things of suffering, storms and things like that and trials, and I've talked about it quite a bit here lately, and so I just feel like that's one of the things the Lord's uh, placed upon my heart. And so I want to try to help you here this morning. I feel like kind of like it's, you know, like a, a, like a, I don't know, like a job I've set out that I need to do when it comes to troubles and things because I've tried to help you. But all through all of this, what we need to be reminded of this morning is that Jesus Christ is in control. No matter what you suffer, no matter what you go through, Jesus Christ is in control of it all. And God is still good through it all. He is. God is still good through it all. I mean, down through the years, the question has been asked and, and it's, it's been said, you know, well, you know, when tragic, typically it happens when tragic hits uh, people's lives and things like that, is they'll ask the question, why does God allow suffering? I mean, if God is a holy God and he's a righteous God and he's a just God and, and, and God's in control of everything, then why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does it seem that those that are living for God tend to have it worse than those that are not living for God? Whether that's really true or not, but yet, let's just say for the sake of argument that it is, why does God allow that to happen? Why does God allow the Christian that's serving God, praying, reading their Bible, faithful to church, why does he allow bad things to happen? Why do they get cancer, but then somebody that lives ungodly, that that smokes dope or smokes cigarettes and drinks all their life, and they end up living to be 80 and 90 years old? How is that? Why is that? Why does God allow that kind of thing to go on? Well, again, I'm going to repeat this. I don't have the perfect mind of God right now. Really, the closest that I can get to the mind of God is the Word of God. You want to know the mind of God? Know the Word of God. So what I want to do is I want to take just the next few minutes here this morning, and I want to give you some things along these same lines here of why God allows suffering. Why does He allow you and me to suffer? I mean, if our heart's right and we're doing right, and I mean, why does God allow us to suffer some things? Well, if you'll come to Luke chapter number 18, first of all, we'll see this here. And um, it's not a fixed thing. It doesn't mean because you're suffering that these are one of them. It could be other things, but here's just some biblical things. First of all, it could be so that people would get saved. In Luke chapter number 18, you're going to find there's a blind man. In Luke chapter number 18. And this blind man has suffered blindness here. Let's just read the passage here and then... I'll make some comments. Luke chapter number 18, uh, verse number 35. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh to Jericho, certain blind men sat by the wayside begging. And here the multitude passed by. He asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They told that guy, they said, man, just shut up, be quiet, stay in your lane. You have no business speaking. And he cried out even more. <laughs> he cried out even the louder. All right, look at verse number, um, verse number 39. And they which went before, oh, verse 40, I'm sorry. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him saying, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise unto God. What you have here, and let me just say this, let me preface the before I give you, get, give you a few thoughts out of the passage there, let me just preface it by saying that when it's all said and done at the end of the, of the day, who are you and I to say that we should never suffer anything? Who do we think we really are that we shouldn't suffer? If our Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered, who are we to think that we shouldn't suffer? You see what I mean? See where I'm going with that? You see, God may want to use you and me as an instrument of suffering to be a testimony to the lost, dying sinner. He may be trying to reach those that are closest to hell in order to draw people unto him through our sufferings. This man had suffered being blind. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say in the passage here that this man, when he became blind, he may have been born this way or maybe he got this way. Maybe he had his sight for a while and then he lost it. Maybe he remembers a day when he could see. But this was a blind man that was suffering from blindness. And then you've got the pharisaical crowd that'll come along and say, well, because he was blind, he'd done this wrong or he'd done that wrong. Well, he must have done something wrong. What sin did he commit that he done this? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe he didn't commit any sin? Has it ever occurred to you that not everything is attributed to sin? It might be that there's a greater purpose for in our, our sufferings than simply the fact that somebody messed up or goofed up. I mean, how could you say that this man had done something wrong and that's why he's blind? It's not in the passage. You're adding it to it when you say that. You say, well, his mom and dad must have, you know, they smoked crack or snorted crack or whatever you do with crack. Anyway, they done something with crack and that's the reason why this, their son is the way they are. You can't say that. You can't say that's why he's like this. Really, I could tell you why he's like this, and we'll get there in just a minute. Notice there's two things that happened because of this man's sufferings. Number one, notice in verse 38 and 39, there was a blind man that called out for the mercy of God. He says in verse number 38, and he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace, but he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They tried to shut him up. They tried to make him be quiet. They said, well, you're just an old beggar blind. You're just a, a drag on society. You're just, you know, a drag on, on the economy. And you, you know, you're just, a, you're just a moocher, a beggar. And just sit over and shut up and stay out of the way. Keep your mouth quiet. You have no right speaking up. But the Bible says this man here didn't quit. See, when you need something from God, don't you let that crowd drag you down. Don't you let them bring you down. But you call out to God and you beg and plead on God for God to get you whatever it is that you might need. And here this man was suffering from blindness and he cried out so much the more, have mercy on me. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus went, he stood still, the Bible said. He got the attention of the Lord. And sometimes that's what you and I need to do. We'll pray one time like, you know, we're going to get the attention of God. And when we don't get it, we go off pouting like a baby somewhere. 
That's not the way this ought to be. Sometimes you got to pray two and three and four times or maybe uh, three months or four months, however long it might be that you would pray. And that's another question in of itself. How long should you pray about something until you quit praying? But, but here, this fellow, he didn't stop. He kept praying out, kept crying out. And he said, he said uh, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. You see, because this man was blind, he cried out and he called out for mercy from God. This man, if he wasn't blind, he wouldn't have called out to God. He was suffering, but his sufferings brought him to a place where he knew Jesus Christ in a way that many didn't know him and became to know him. Notice also number two, that because he was healed of his blindness, of his suffering, God was glorified and praised in verse 43. He says in verse 43, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. It didn't stop there. I mean, this man went away and he was glorifying God. He was telling everybody, man, I was blind, but now I can see. And he was going around telling everybody. He was glorifying God. Hey, there was a man over here that he spoke and he said, thy faith hath saved thee. And all of a sudden the scales dropped from my eyes and now I'm no longer blind, but I can see. I'm no longer suffering. I'm no longer sitting over here with a cup with dark glasses on begging for money, but now I can get me a job and I can make some money. You see, he was glorifying God, but it did not stop there. This man in verse 43, the Bible said at the end of it, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. And God showed up and began to do something and everybody started praising God, you see? And so that's what'll happen there. You see, this man suffered so that he could call out and get mercy from God, but not only that, God got glory out of the whole thing. Why does people suffer? Well, so some people can be saved and so God could get the glory out of it. That's another point that really wasn't my point to begin with this morning anyway. Notice number two, why does people suffer? Sometimes because of the chastening hand of God. This is a hard one here. If you will, turn to your right just a few books to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll read two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, why does God allow people to suffer? 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and... Uh, Verse 31 and 32, the Bible said, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, when you and I do something wrong, we ought to examine ourselves in the light of the Scriptures, and we ought to judge that thing. And God, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I confess it, I repent, I'm wrong, you're right. And we get that thing right with God and turn from it, then God doesn't have to judge us. But look at verse 32, but when we are judged, well, what happened? Well, if you were judged, it's because you didn't judge yourself. That's what he said in verse 31, that if you judge yourself, then you should not be judged. But when you are judged, evidently you didn't judge yourself, then we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So God sometimes judges us because it's simply the chastening hand of God. And what God wants to do is he wants to make sure that you're not identified with the world. And that's what he said in verse number 32. He, he talks about we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So that that way God says, hey, you can see this is a child of God. This is the chastening hand of the Lord. And this is just an unsafe person's foolishness here. You see the differences there. They're different, okay? So he chastens us so that we're not identified with the world. For example, take someone who backslides and they get out of church. You know that backsliders, and I've dealt with several of them over the years, but they're some of the most miserable people that you'll ever meet. I mean, backsliders, they've got an attitude, a grudging attitude. They hold on to bitterness. They hold on to grudge. They're just miserable, and they'll make you miserable if you hang around them long enough. They'll make the entire family miserable. 
I mean, everybody's ready to be on antidepressants after you deal with somebody that's backslid and they're bitter. Now, I say this from my experience, and I don't know. I could be wrong because I'm saying it from experience side of things. But truthfully, the, black, the backslider of today are a little different than the backslider of yesteryear. I mean, a person can backslide and get out of church, and somehow they'll justify themselves. You ever saw people do that? I mean, at one time, they were in church, faithful, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, passing out tracks, and then all of a sudden, they're at home. They're no longer in church. So when you talk to them, they're justifying it. Well, I got my and you know, and then they think they're okay with God when really they're not. And see, that's what will happen. Sin will cause a man to think that everything's okay between him and the Lord when it really isn't. And the backslider's problem is, is that he's not being honest with God. But after all, how can a backslider be honest with God if he won't even be honest with himself? You're going to have to be honest with yourself first. And then you be honest with God about that thing. But they're, they're some of the most unhappy, ungrateful, unthankful people that you'll come across. It's because they know the grace of God and they know they're not where they should be and not doing what they should be. But because of that, there's this thing going on in their heart. And so they're just unhappy. And their problem is a result of their backsliddenness. That's not even a word, I don't guess. But uh, their problem is a result of not being right with the Lord. You see, when you're not right with God, it compounds your problems. That's what happens. It compounds the problems. Christian, outside of the will of God, you and I will never be happy. God chastens us for various reasons. Let me give you just a couple here. Revelation 3, 19. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So in that verse right there, number one, we notice that he chastens us because he loves us. He chastens us because he loves us. I mean, didn't our parents, didn't they chasten us? Didn't they correct us because they love us? At least that's the way it should be. That ought to be the motive there anyway. I remember when I'd done something wrong, my dad, he'd say, boy, get to the basement. That wasn't a happy thing because I know what was waiting in the basement. (laughs) I know there was a paddle hanging down there in the wall. So I knew that's where I was headed. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's what my dad would do. He'd say, get to the basement. And so, you know, we'd get down to the basement and he'd say, and, and, and for the most part, my dad, as a parent, he was a stern man, very stern when it come to correction and things like that. And he'd say, boy, this is going to hurt me as much as it is you. And I never verbalized it because it would only compound my problems even more. But I would be thinking in my mind, well, let's trade places and let's see, Right. <laughs> That'd be in my thinking there. But um, his lucky number was the number five. And that's what you got. You got five licks, and that's the way that worked. But now that I'm a parent, I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, this is going to hurt me more than it will you. Nobody wants to correct their children. Well, however you correct your children, I mean, I'm not saying it's always physical, but uh, maybe you've got to take this away, take that away. You know, you ground them and things like that. I understand you use a, cul- a culmination of different things. Maybe you do put them in a timeout. I don't know. I've heard stories where teachers would draw a circle on the blackboard. <laughs> Some of you young people don't know what a blackboard is now. They're all whiteboards, I guess, or smart boards or something like that. But on the blackboard, they take a piece of chalk and write on that board, and they'd have to stick their nose in it and keep it there for however long it was, you know. So that's, you know, that's, I guess that's a form of punishment as well. So there's all kinds of forms of punishment there. But, you know, the parent, the parent does these things out of love. It's out of love that we must correct our children. I don't want to correct my child when he does wrong all the time, but I know I have to. It's one of my duties to correct him. I mean, if my dad didn't, then think, where I, think how rebellious I'd be today. 
I mean, think how rebellious I'd be today. I mean, and it's the same with God. I mean, he corrects us out of love. Think how rebellious you and I would be today if God didn't chasten us, if he didn't correct us. He said, whom he chasteneth, um, he loveth, whom he chasteneth, right? Then we notice in Revelation 3.19, not only does God chasten us because he loves us, but he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the second reason why God chastens us in the verse is so that we will repent. Hopefully the five licks that I got, hopefully that deterred me from wanting to make any foolish decisions going forward, right? Now, for a little while anyway it did, but then again I'm back to square one because we're flesh and we're young and we're learning and so we need the correction. So hopefully the punishment that I received was enough to teach me that there are consequences for my actions. That's the problem with our generation today is they have, there's no consequences for their action. You want to go out and bust up and open up you know, in a store and steal whatever you want and go out and there's no consequences for it? That only breeds more crime, doesn't it? And you see that? I mean, that's the same way with a child. You see, if there's, the, the reason why many children don't respect mommy and daddy is because there is no correction because they don't look at mommy and daddy as an authority in the home. They don't listen to the parents. Now, if they don't listen to the parents, then they're probably not going to listen to the police officer when he turns on those pretty blue lights behind them and pulls them over, right? And then if they don't respect the police officer, they're probably not going to respect the judge that they're going before to stand before. And then after they go to jail, they're probably still not going to repent from that if they don't respect authority. So that when they come to church and they sit in the pew and the Holy Spirit of God begins to deal with their heart, who is the author of salvation, right? And when he begins to deal with their heart, they just reject it and refuse it. Why? Because they have no respect for authority. You see, and it starts, it goes back to the home. That's really where it all goes back. But you see, the problem we have is if we're not careful, it'll be our sin. It'll be our pride. And when we're suffering the chastening hand of God, don't let your pride step in and say, oh, well, it just happens to everybody. Now, maybe it does happen to everybody. Maybe it is one of those things that, well, it's just life and it happens. But you ought to stop and ask yourself, is this God trying to get my attention? That's what you ought to stop and ask. Is God using this situation to get my attention? And if it is, then hey, you're going the wrong way. Stop, repent, change course, and change directions. Sometimes God allows suffering for the reason of the fact that it's, it's the chastening hand of God to turn our head, to turn our direction. And then number three, God allows suffering sometimes so that we can learn some lessons, so that we can learn. Sometimes we just need suffering to learn. Sometimes you and I won't learn any other way other than suffering. I mean, that's just the way it works. Romans 5, 3 said, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, I mean, it's a mouthful to say this, but the purpose sometimes in our lives uh, for, when through suffering is to bring God glory. Now, that is a mouthful. No matter what anybody in the building is going through, how can I use this and how can I allow God to use this to bring glory to him through my life? That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about these tribulations and glory and in his infirmities and things like that. And as you grow in the Lord, you need to learn and I need to learn to allow ourselves to glory in our tribulations. Somehow, some way, somewhere, there's something that you and I can find no matter what we go through where we can say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Boy, I sure do appreciate that. I was thinking about passing that vehicle that done that. You know, I was thanking God that the wheel went off on the other side and not my side, right? It could have turned the other way around. How about when you pull up to that, you know, at that red light where you're stopped at and just right ahead of you, there's, a, um, there's an accident. And oh, thank goodness I went the speed limit this time, right? 
I'll throw in that this time. Thank God I went to the speed limit because that could have been me. It could have been in that accident. Y'all are smiling, so okay. We, we all can relate now. We're flesh, right? <laughs> a while back, and I'm going to use this again. My wife, she's going to say, oh, here we go. Um, but this is the recent one that I've got to give you, you know. But I remember a while back when I was in the hospital, and I could remember, you know, I had that headache, and I, and I just thought, you know, the answer to my problem was just to check out of here. At some point, that was, I was thinking, Lord, if you take me out of here, I'd feel so much better. I mean, I was at that point. When you get to that point, I mean, they'll hand you a pill. You'll take it, right? Get rid of the pain. You know, you'll eat them up like candy if, if they hand it to you, but they, they won't hand it to you that way. Now they come in, and, you know, they got to make sure that you're Mr. Miller, and then they've got this barcode. they got to scan you for, okay, we'll give you medicine now. we got to scan you first. And I, and I get all that. I understand that. But still yet, you know, i got a headache. I ain't got time for all this formality stuff. Give me the pill. You can scan me later, right? That's just my mentality. You say that's awful. Well, you let God put you in a head, I was going to say a headlock, a headache. <laughs> he might put you in a headlock too, I guess. But, <laughs> but um, I remember they were taking me down. I think it was day three. They were taking me down to the MRI, a place where they do an MRI. I'd never had an MRI before. And as they were taking me down, I can remember seeing this man in a stretcher. And I don't know if it's rescue squad. I don't, I don't know who brought, I don't know who's bringing him in or whatever. I didn't look closely. I know it was a yellow frame stretcher and a guy was stretched out on that thing. And they had a, a mask on him, I guess, for oxygen and had some other stuff. I don't remember exactly what all it was, but, but he looked like he was in pretty bad shape. I mean, here I am with this headache that is just out of this world. I mean, I'm ready to check out of here in my mind. God, just take me out of here. And then I come across this man who's laying down on a stretcher, and they're taking him. And I don't know if he's had a heart attack, car accident. I don't know if he's going to live another minute to see his family. But my family was coming up later on to visit me. And, boy, that got me to thinking. I thought, you know what? <laughs> I don't have it so bad after all. Sometimes God puts you through suffering so you can see things differently through the lens differently. Without going through sufferings, you and I wouldn't see some of the things that we see the way we do. So sometimes God has to allow sufferings that way. And so, you know, sometimes God allows suffering to teach us a lesson. You know, learning to find the bright side of suffering is a spiritual growth. That's something that takes spiritual growth. Not just anybody can suffer and say, praise Jesus. It don't work that way. You know, we grow to that point, don't we? Somebody said, Lord, please give me patience because if you give me strength, I'm going to need some bail money too. <laughs> patience isn't just something that we ought to have because there's too many witnesses around. Yeah, amen. I know, I get it. I mean, those people say that patience is a virtue, but those people have never had Frontier as an internet service provider either, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought that would put, push some buttons right there. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> hey, we got to learn from our sufferings. Allow them to make us better and not bitter. Paul said he glories in tribulation, so through sufferings we can learn to have some patience. God wants to teach us some things. Now, you probably don't want to pray for patience because we know that patience, that works tribulation, doesn't it? That brings along tribulation. So you ever seen a Christian and something bad happens and, and they're praising the Lord through that thing? Isn't that a great thing? I mean, that's a beautiful thing right there. And I aspire to be more like that. But, you know, I find myself many times going the other direction. But, but I'm thinking, man, what a strong Christian. What a testimony that that is that somebody would praise God through their sufferings. That's a great thing. And we've probably all seen people get bitter at God. Maybe you've even been bitter at God at a time in your life as well. But listen, who are we to say that God's wrong and I'm right? I mean, isn't that really what we're saying? 
I mean, when I'm suffering and I'm saying, I don't deserve this, this ain't right, and I get bitter at God, aren't we really saying that, God, you're wrong and I'm right, I know what's best? You know, and you try to hijack God and you try to make God out to be a little genie and that kind of thing where you get you out of trouble. You know, God puts us through sufferings and sometimes it's not his will to pull us out of it. It's his will to pull us through it. You see, sometimes you're not going to get out of that thing. You know, somebody will say, preacher, can you pray for so-and-so? They're going through this. I don't know how to pray sometimes. I just say, God, I pray your will be done. It might not be God's will for him to come out of that situation. I might be praying against God's will if I do. It might not be God's will for me to come out of my situation. But God, I pray that your will would be done. That's, that's how you have to pray. I mean, who are we to tell God that he's wrong and we're right? I mean, he's the potter and I'm the clay. He's the creator and I'm the creature. I mean, who, who's the creature to be able to tell the creator that you've done something wrong? I mean, that's foolishness. Listen, the earth spins and the earth rotates and the earth is held together by the almighty power of God. Who am I to say, God, you're wrong and I'm right? My heart can go astray that way. I better be careful. Maybe you've gotten away from trusting the Lord and the fact that you must walk by faith. The Bible said whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Did you know the apostle Paul carried a thorn in the flesh? I'm about ready to come to a close. Did you know that Paul carried a thorn in the flesh? He prayed three times, thrice, for God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And all three times God said, no, no, no. What a mean and nasty God, right? No, what God said is my grace is sufficient for, you, for thee. Remember that comfort we talked about in the beginning? See, if God's going to bring some sufferings your way, then he's going to give you the consolation to get through it. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul said afterwards, he said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities for Christ's sake. All right, God, I don't like my situation, but I'm going to try to my best to take pleasure in this thing for your sake. See, our lives are meant to draw and bring glory to Jesus Christ. Can you say and I say that we've taken pleasure in our infirmities? Maybe, maybe not. At times, maybe not at times. But you know what some do? Some go around and all they do is complain. It's my wife, she got, I know where she got it. She got it from her mother. Um, I'll just pick on her. Because you know how us guys are. We complain all the time. And she'll say, one of the things she'll say is she'll say, Oh, the whole world's out to get you. <laughs> one other thing she'll say is she'll say, um, she'll say, you ain't never seen a happy day in your life. Now, that's the one she got from her mother, I think. You ain't never seen a happy day in your life. No, I ain't. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know? But certainly, there's people you don't want to ask how they're doing, especially if you're in a hurry, right? Because they ain't going to tell you. As a pastor, two minutes before service, you don't say, hey, how you doing, sis? Because <laughs> she's probably going to tell you everything that's going wrong with her. So you're looking at your watch like, oh, boy, what did I get into? <laughs> I'm cutting up. But still yet, we shouldn't give up on the Lord and the things of God when we don't get our way. Isn't that like a child? Don't we expect a child to act that way? Well, I ain't getting my way, so I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up on God because things aren't going your way. That's the way a baby acts. That's the way a child acts. It could be that God is trying to teach us some things, maybe even something like patience. And then quickly, this last one here, sometimes you're going to suffer because you are serving the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 23, if you'll write it down, living and serving the Lord is followed by suffering. 
You know, our, our lives, if you want to say that, is in many ways an extension of the life of Jesus Christ. He was called a man of sorrows, and so our life is an extension of sufferings. Second Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the Bible teaches us that, that when you suffer and, and you do it well, even though you didn't do any wrong, that that's pleasing, that's acceptable to God. So when you suffer for your own fault, what good is it if you take it patiently? But if you suffer for the cause of Christ and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 19, I think it is. Now, somehow we've got it all wrong. Joel, Joel Osteen got it all wrong when he wrote his book, Your Best Life Now. It is not your best life now. Those that want to teach you that because you've got problems and trials in your life, it's because you're not right with God, mark them off. That's foolishness is what that is. It's not your best life now. It'll be your best life later. This is your worst life now. If this is the best life now, I don't want out of here because I don't want to go to something worse. You know what I mean? I mean, because if it's any worse than this one, we're in a world of fix. You see, what we've got to learn as Christians is we're not to bear a cross now we're to, or to bear a crown now. We're to bear a cross now. And then a crown comes. It's the cross now and the crown later. So the truth is that if you're saved this morning, it is your worst life now and your best life is yet to come when Jesus Christ comes back. One day, you and I are going to get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ if we suffer with him. And that's what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, as I draw to a conclusion here, let me give you a little bit of hope this morning from the Bible. Revelation 21, we talked about it on Wednesday night. Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, he said, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. All tears. You know what tears usually is connected with, don't you? Connected with sufferings. He said, He'll wipe all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. That's connected with suffering, for the former things are passed away. Now, as a child of God, the hope that you and I have is that the things that we suffer and the things that you go through right now are not even worthy to be compared to the things which God has in store for you and me. I want to leave you with a saying here. It's profound. I've used it many times. God often digs wells of joy with the spade of sorrow. Think about that for a moment. You wouldn't know the good times were the good times without the bad times, would you? You wouldn't know what a mountaintop would be like without the valleys. So God often digs wells of joy with the spade of sorrow. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning.